Our sermon text tonight is Psalm number 71. Let's turn there. Psalm number 71. You should also have a sermon notes page, a little outline there. Uh, the passage is printed out as well if you'd like to follow along there. Uh, psalm 71, we're reading from the ESV, English Standard Version. Uh, the whole psalm, verses 1 through 24. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given me the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent, for my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace, may they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day. For their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord, God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me, until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteousness, of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. May the Lord write his words upon uh, the tablets of our hearts and give us his Holy Spirit tonight. Well, we've been in, in uh, the Psalms again, and uh, we picked up a couple of weeks ago at, at Psalm number 69. And Psalms 69 and 70 uh, are these Psalms in which David, uh, towards the end of this uh, book of the Psalter, uh, the second book of the Psalter, uh, David is crying out in great distress. He's full of anguish. He's full of trouble. He's been persecuted. He's being tracked down by his enemies. And we talked about uh, the very physical enemies that he had, the real political enemies that he had uh, in, that, uh, in, in that ancient world, and how those enemies of God in the Old Testament apply to us in the New Testament uh, in terms of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so Psalm 69 and Psalm 70, you notice there, uh, if you turn back and just note uh, the headings, talk about these being of David. So these are Psalms of David. Uh, and then you come to Psalm 72, which we will come to eventually. Uh, notice the heading there. Uh, who wrote Psalm 72? 
It's not David. Who, who wrote Psalm 72? Solomon. Solomon. And who's Solomon? One of, one of David's sons, right? One of his many sons. So Psalm 69 and 70 are Psalms of David. Uh, Psalm 72 is a song of Solomon. Uh, and we'll see what that means there. Uh, but notice here then, Psalm 71. Who wrote Psalm 71? It doesn't tell us, but we can reason, we can infer, uh, and tradition even tells us, most likely, this is now David in his older age. So he's been struggling, he's been wrestling in prayer with his enemies and asking God to come and help. And you see that even here uh, in Psalm 71 uh, at verse 12, which is one of those responsive prayers that we pray out on Sunday evening. Oh my God, make haste to help me. Hurry, God, and be my assistance. And so he's still praying this, but now we, we infer that he's at the end of his life. He's struggling. He's praying. And you see also that in Psalm 69 uh, and, and 70, and now 71, there's this theme of disgrace uh, and shame. So in Psalm 69, verse 6, for example, Psalm 70, verse 2, uh, may the Lord shame and disgrace my enemies, not shame and disgrace me. And again, there's a theme in Psalm 69 and 70, uh, and now also matched here in Psalm 71, the theme of rescue. And so it's most likely still a psalm of David. It's just not given that heading, and so it takes on a more generic kind of a prayer. But it's David now, uh, it, probably in his old age. You can even see that as well. Not just the relationship between Psalm 69 and 70 and then 71 and 2, uh, but also notice in, that, in the psalm that we just read, uh, there's this alternating theme between youth and old age. Youth and old age. In other words, David praying uh, before, right? David praying in his, in his earlier years, and now David praying in his old age. And so notice there verse number uh, 5, for example. Uh, for you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. He's trusted the Lord as a covenant child from his youth. And again, uh, verse 6. Upon you I have leaned. Right? He's taken his... Uh, refuge. He has relied completely on the Lord, even from, uh, from before my birth, he prayed. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. And again at verse number 17, O oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. And so here, here's David. He's prayed uh, earlier in his life, from even before his mother's womb, he's relied upon the Lord, he's trusted God, he's, he's prayed to the Lord, he's known the Lord was his refuge, his trust, he's crying out now in his old age. Verse number nine. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. And again at verse 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. So this is David praying in his old age, summarizing all these prayers that we've seen here in this section of the Psalms, all of his struggles, all of his anguish. He's still praying these things, but now he has a little bit of a different sort of vantage point looking back upon all these struggles. And so I want us to think tonight about uh, this prayer. It's, it's uh, an example to us of the kind of a prayer that, that you and I want to be able to pray uh, in our old age as God's children. As we look, about, look back upon our 
struggles, look back upon our, our youth, look back upon our middle age even. What's the kind of prayer that we want to be able to pray in our old age? Notice, first of all, we want to be able to pray here as David, this anointed of the Lord, and of course he's a type and shadow to us of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be able to pray as Christians uh, in our old age that we have taken refuge in the Lord. That we have taken refuge in the Lord. Uh, notice how the psalm begins. In you. In you, O Lord. Right? And so we are, we are praying here in Christ we are praying out of Christ, from Christ, the vantage point of being a believer in Jesus Christ. And so we are praying that it's in him that we would still take refuge, that we would know, as we heard this morning, his personal presence, his powerful presence amongst us and with us. As we are like Jacob, we are on the journey and we make our way to the end of that journey and the Lord is with us in times of good and plenty, but also in want and in famine, in times of life and in times of death, in times of great blessing, in times of tremendous curse, tremendous anguish. In you, he prays. In you. I take refuge. I take refuge. We've been, we've been reading some of these psalms together uh, at home with our kids and talking about uh, the image of refuge. Look at verse 1. He wants to take refuge in the Lord, or he does take refuge in the Lord. Uh, and then at verse number 3, that the Lord is a, is a rock. He is my rock and my fortress. And the image there of all, the, all of his enemies are, are crashing against him like waves. And if you can find a little sort of cave or a little overhang even on the coast you can take refuge from the rain and from the water from the torrent of storm we want to take refuge in the lord he is a rock of refuge again verse three my rock and my fortress and again verse number seven he he calls in there my strong refuge so what are these images here of refuge and rock of refuge, a rock and a fortress, a strong refuge? What are they meant to communicate to us? Strength, right? Strength. We must have, we must have way too much food today. Maybe I took a nap, so I'm ready to go. You know, no one else took a nap, it seems like. But what these images are meant to communicate to us, strength, aren't they? Strength. But also, but also, closeness. It's not just that God is strong for us to help us in our weakness, and his power is made perfect in our struggles and in our weaknesses, but, but to take refuge in him, that he is a rock of refuge, that he is a fortress, a strong refuge, that it's also meant to communicate to us closeness, because we are in him, we are inside the cave. We find ourselves in Christ, we hide ourselves in him. Paul talks about that our life is now hidden with Christ in God's. At the end of our lives, we want to be able to pray, Lord, in you I take refuge. I have no other help but the Lord who has made the heavens and the earth. And this prayer for, 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 for personal closeness to be in the Lord as a refuge, it, it makes his plea, which he has multiple times here as well, don't forsake me, more urgent. Don't forsake me is the opposite of in you. I take refuge. Or it's another way of saying it. It's the second side of the coin, the other side of, of that image. 
And so here's this old man, right? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't want that fear that many of us rightly fear, being a widow or a widower or, uh, or, 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 or single, in our old age, left. Left by ourselves. Left by ourselves. And we, have that, we have that so prevalent amongst us in our culture, don't we, that, that we, 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 we take our moms or our dads and we, we put them in a retirement home or a rest home or a convalescent care and we just leave them there and they're alone. The fear and the dread of aloneness. But here it's to be alone from God, right? To be alone by yourself outside of him. He wants to be in the Lord. He wants to be in the Lord. That's why he prays multiple times here. Verse 9, do not cast me off in the time of old age. The, 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 the human fear that we might have of being alone on our deathbed. But here it's being alone from the Lord. Forsake me not. Again, verse number 11 uh, the, the world, the flesh, the devil, all these enemies are saying, God has forsaken him. O Lord, in you I take refuge. They can say that, but it's not true. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Again, verse number 12. O God, be not far from me. And the, uh, I mentioned this morning this idea of the presence of God. It's a way of describing God himself uh, in Scripture. Uh, uh, and where is God, kids? Where is God? Sadie, where is God? He's everywhere, isn't he? Isn't God everywhere? Is God omnipresent? He's everywhere, all at the same time. So, so isn't it strange? Isn't it interesting? Strange and kind of kind of weird. Then, well, if God's everywhere at once, why why do we often read in the Bible these these prayers? Uh, Don't be far from me. I thought God was God was everywhere. How can God be everywhere but yet be far from where I'm at? Well, it's like I said this morning, it's not that God isn't present. It's the sense of his presence. It's the awareness of his presence, the assurance of his presence. He doesn't want to feel alone. He doesn't want to feel destitute and away from God. He wants to know, even in the time of death itself, that the Lord is near. Oh God, be not far from me. And again, verse 18 even to old age and gray hairs, do not forsake me. Do not forsake me. And so this, feel, this feeling of abandonment, humanly speaking, it's a, it's a terrible feeling, it's a terrible dread and a threat that might be, be hanging over us. We're afraid of this. But how much more so to be abandoned by God? The enemy attacks us, like with David, and we might feel forsaken, we might feel he's far from us. But it's in you, O Lord, I take refuge. It's in Christ that we find our refuge, we hide ourselves in him. So we want to pray, we want to be able to pray, we want to prepare ourselves tonight for that moment, the last moment of human existence, before we enter into glory. When our soul leaves our body and goes to dwell in the presence of God and our body is buried in the earth and dust to dust, ash to ash until uh, in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection when it's, brought, when it's brought back together with our soul. We want to be ready now for that moment. Lord, in you do I take refuge.
don't, don't wait. Don't wait. We never know when the Lord will take us home. Don't wait. We want to also be able to pray in our old age this amazing prayer. In, uh, uh, I trust in your righteousness. I trust in your righteousness. Notice that multiple times again, the psalm has this theme of the righteousness of God. Verse 2. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Uh, righteousness in, 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 in the scripture, in the Old Testament especially, is God putting things in right order that are disordered right now. So we, we can speak of righteous, so the Bible speaks of righteousness, God being righteous in himself, but also God exhibiting righteousness. And in the Old Testament, that's in terms of society, that's in terms of the people of God, the church, uh, that's in terms of personal life. Things are disordered. Uh, all the sort of building blocks of life have been scrambled around. Nothing's in the right order. But God is righteous. And so we appeal to the righteousness of God to set all those things right. And the most important thing that we want to be able to pray, Lord, I trust in your righteousness. I trust in your ordering rightly all the disordered things of my life, what's, what's the most important thing we, we are praying that about? Lord, my life is, in this thing, disordered. A jumbled mess of building blocks. Lord, set it right. What's the most important thing that we pray about that? Uh, pray, uh, pray that for? What's the biggest thing in our lives that's disordered and it's a jumbled mess? Our, our sins in our relationship to God, isn't it? Our sins, all these building blocks have been toppled by the fall and by our own daily sins and thoughts, words, and deeds. Complete mess. The Lord is righteous. The Lord sets in order. And how does he do that? How does God set in order, right, all the wrong things, a.k.a. sins, in our lives? How does he do that? How does he do that? How does he rightly order our relationship to God? Through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. The righteous one himself, our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives a perfect life without sin, uh, 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 tempted in all ways, yet without sin, uh, in his act of impassive obedience, he's obeyed the law of God, he's suffered for us, he's done all that is necessary to redeem us and to set us at right uh, 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 right with God, to be righteous before God, we then embrace Jesus Christ by faith and then God rightly orders our lives. That is to say, he fixes that relationship with him. He gives us the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that our disordered lives, our sins, are set right with God. Notice the importance of being able to pray in your righteousness. Deliver me. Do you see that? In your righteousness, deliver me. Notice again, he says in verse 16, uh, with the mighty deed of the Lord God, I will come, I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. Your righteousness, yours alone. My tongue, he says in verse 24, will talk of your righteous help 
all the day long. And again in verse 15. There's no talk here of David in in his old age of his own righteous deeds, of his own accomplishments, of his own works. He's not bragging in one way whatsoever. No, he comes to pray, I trust in your righteousness. And so God, who is righteous, and God who will set all things right in the whole creation that he's made, and he will make all things new one day, he begins that work already in the lives of sinners who embrace Jesus Christ by faith. He sets us right with God so that we can know him rightly. And he relates to us. We can know his presence. We can praise his name. We can hide ourselves in him. We can trust in him. We can find refuge in him. We can know that despite our sins, despite the temptations of the devil, the world, our own flesh, that constantly accuse us, we know. We know that we trust not in our own righteousness, but in yours, O Lord. In yours, O Lord. And so at the end of his life here, he's praying again that he would take refuge in the Lord. He's praying at the end of his life uh, that he's taken trust in the righteousness of God himself. That's what makes his righteous, uh, that's what makes his life right with God, ordered right before him in a right relationship. And because of all this, notice finally, we want to be able to pray as David does, I tell of my hope and your praise. He describes at the end of his life that he hopes in the Lord and he praises God. You, O Lord, verse 5, are my hope. Again, verse 14, but I will hope continually. He hopes in the Lord. He hopes in the Lord. And he also praises him. He also praises him. He is thinking about his struggles, isn't he? He's got lots of accusers here, those who seek to hurt him, and so forth. He's he's an honest man, but he's ultimately praising God. My praise is continually of you, verse 6. My mouth is filled with your praise, verse 8. With your glory. All the day. I will praise, verse 14, I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day. Their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord I will come, and so forth. And again in verse 17, he says there uh, that, that, that he still proclaims your wondrous deeds. He's hoping and he's praising. He's hoping and he's praising at the end of his life. And and just notice with me briefly there, uh, verses uh, verses 22 through through 24 as well, the end there, uh, this theme of praising God, the harp, right? And David was this this great uh, musician, the the psalm singer of the Lord, and so he's reflecting upon his past uh, musical accomplishments that uh, were were all used to, to honor the Lord and and praise him. You see that in verses 22 uh, through 24. So from his youth to his old age, he took refuge in the Lord. And here we are, and we want to be able to pray this. 
refuge in the Lord, trusting in God's righteousness that he's revealed to us in Jesus Christ, not our own, telling of all of his hope in the Lord and all the Lord's praise, even as his body is full of pain, even as his soul is full of anguish. He's telling of the Lord's praise. And I want you to see how he's able to do this finally. The basis of all these prayers here, refuge, righteousness, and, uh, and uh, telling uh, of the Lord's praise and hope. Notice the, the basis of this all. How is he able to pray these things? I mean, he's a sinner just like you and me. How is he able to do this? Did you see there in verses 19 through 21 these interesting parts of the psalm where he's, he's speaking of the righteousness of God that reached to the high heavens. He's done great things. Oh God, who's like you? Notice verse 20. At the end of his life, you've made me see many troubles and calamities. The ESV translates it very woodenly and very, uh, very uh, much according to, as the Hebrew text here, very strong. God has made me see calamity and trouble. And that might even trouble us, that, 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 we, that he would even pray this way. We know that God, of course, is righteous. God is not himself the author of sin or tempted, uh, can be tempted by sin. But here he is being described in his overarching providence, making David see troubles and calamity. But notice the, also verse 20. The same God who does that will revive me again, he says. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. What are those, uh, verse 20 especially, what, what does verse 20 remind you of? The Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't it? You've made me see many troubles and calamities. Was Jesus' death just a, just a random act of violence? He was delivered over to the hands of wicked men, the apostle Peter says, according to the definite purpose and foreknowledge of God. And that same God who delivered over his son to many troubles and calamities will revive me again from the depths of the earth, the resurrection. And so here's David praying in, these, uh, in the Old Testament. We call this the, the age of shadows and types, right? It's before the, the coming of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's praying as a prophet, as, the, as the, uh, the, the, the anointed king, the one from whom and through whom the Lord Jesus Christ would come upon that throne of David forever, who will one day die but yet be raised again. And on the basis of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, David here can pray, Lord, at the end of my life, in you do I take refuge. I trust in your righteousness alone. I tell of all my hope in you. I tell of all my praise. And so, ultimately, I pray that you and I get to the end of our lives. We we pray because we're Christians. We pray... As those who are in Christ, we pray from that position to God with great confidence, with great joy, knowing that the last breath that we take, the last beat of our heart, the last wave length uh, of electricity coursing through our brains, we will be 
confident and certain in the knowledge that we belong to Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you again for the blessings of knowing you and your presence amongst us. And so we ask tonight that you would fill our mouths with praise and our our hearts with love, Lord. Fill our minds with your truth and enable our hands and feet to to move this week uh, to serve and honor you. We do pray, Lord, that we would have this sense of urgency of, uh, of life being fleeting. That we can uh, spring up very quickly like the flowers of the field, as the psalm describes, but yet in an instant the wind can blow, we can wither and die. We know that, Lord, you are ultimately in control of, all, of every breath, every moment, Lord, that we live. Enable us to take advantage and, Lord, even this very week to, be, to, to speak very joyfully yet very seriously of what it means to be a sinner saved by grace, trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so help us, we pray, to be good witnesses in this life of a greater life that is to come. We ask this all in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, Amen. Let's uh, sing together, turning uh, in our hymnal. Uh, we're going to sing...